Hey, I'm Phil. And I'm Chris. We are two dads who share one simple goal, to be better fathers to our kids. And that involves more time together with our families. More books, more movies, more board games. And most importantly, more meals together. And if we're going to spend more meals together, we need to be better cooks. So this is us trying to figure that out. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. It's like paint drying. You know, like if you don't do it every single day, like you don't want the paint to dry. Like you just got to keep going. That, so. That's the perfect analogy, Phil. A hundred percent. I see you I looking around. Know room. what you do mean? Do you have paint drying right now? No, no. I try and keep our paint wet all the time. That makes sense. Did you grow up watching cooking shows with your mom or grandma or brother or anybody? I didn't. We didn't get into food shows. Let me rephrase that. I didn't get into food shows until Molly. I don't think I ever watched one in my whole entire life. And now that's kind of, if we're watching something, what it's going to be. She's not into the reality food shows like MasterChef. I think we watch more of like the the kind of the docu-series, chef's table type shows or some of the travel food shows, whether that's David Chang's Ugly Delicious or Somebody Feed Phil. Have Have you seen that show? I don't think I have, but it sounds like something I would really enjoy. It's actually pretty fantastic. Both of those are really, those are, those are two of our it's favorites. It's called Somebody Feed Phil. Yeah. So it's Phil Rosenthal, who is a producer okay. on Everybody Loves Raymond. Nice. And he, he actually had a PBS show called I'll Have What Phil's Having. And he switched over to Netflix and the title changed, but he just travels and experiences culture through food. And I think what's so awesome about his show is he just has this infectious enthusiasm for everything. He just dives right in. That does sound like a ton of fun. You should definitely check that one out. It seems like shows these days, whether they're on Netflix, uh, which does seem like there's a lot of cooking shows on Netflix, but shows these days tend to, at least it seems like they tend to have more of a docu-series type feel or reality like beat Bobby Flay or, you know, one of those yeah. types of shows or, or the great British baking show or, Oh, that one's different. That that's in a category of its own. That's sacred. It's the best. Yeah. I think I grew up thinking about food shows more in terms of like the U S style reality show where it's drama and all the food network mm-hmm. stuff. Shop till you drop diners, drive-ins and dives type of a deal. Uh, yeah. They weren't telling deep stories like a lot of, the other shows out now. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Padma, her new show called Taste the Nation. I think it's on Hulu, but it really dives deep into the immigrant experience. And it has a lot to say about kind of about who we are as a society, like what the U.S. is. And really, we're a nation made up of immigrants. And it's easy to forget that. She just takes like a really interesting deep dive into that. And there's a lot that you can say about culture and, and society in that type of format, I think it's super, super fascinating. And that's, that's one of the things that I think we love is hearing stories about other people that aren't exactly like us. It, it definitely helps build empathy. I think it's why I love fiction. You know, you can, yeah. you can read some really great nonfiction books out there, but fiction and empathy, man, they're life-changing. Anyways, I think the, the reason I was asking about the cooking shows is cooking shows these days tend to have more of like that reality or, or doc type feel. But when I was growing up, the cooking shows that were often on that my grandmother would watch were more of, you know, how to instructional cooking shows. Yeah. Yeah. Very instructional. And, you know, the hosts always seem to have it together. 
like they would would make these meals and they would just make it seem so easy. And this one that comes to mind was this old show called Yan Can Cook and such a great title. But it was this guy who was just this master with the knife. He would chop an onion in a matter of seconds or a slice of cucumber super thin always the perfect width but he and so many of these other hosts for these tv shows always seem to have everything together and they would mention what they were going to throw in the dish and then they would throw it that spice in or that little you know pocket of onions or, or whatever and at the end of the show it was just like oh I, I could do that and then you try to do it and you can't and it just kind of made me realize that they're doing things that we may not necessarily be doing And really, when you think about it, it's just because they've prepared everything ahead of time. And that's it. That's the common denominator. Like these pros have just cut everything up before they started recording. And it just kind of made me think, is there actually something to that? Is that is that a thing that the pros do? (laughs) Well, softball. Underhand slow pitch. So, Phil, it almost (laughs) sounds like you might be talking about mise en place. (laughs) Oh, mise en place? I've not heard of that. It sounds French. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like that's something that I had never really heard of until somewhere in the past five, six years or so. And it's something that I'm not always good at. I think it's really a fantastic methodology to like apply to everyday cooking. So at least as I understand it, mise en place literally means setting in place. And it's both... Uh, like a mindset and a process. If you were to describe it, I think it's the idea of being prepared ahead of time. So that preparation looks like reading through the recipe, figuring out what ingredients you need and what needs to be prepared, and then laying it all out. I think that's another strong part of mise en place is how you have all of your utensils and different ingredients laid out. So if you need a certain knife, it's in this one spot and you don't even really have to think about reaching for it. It's just second nature. And I I love how it can simplify parts of cooking because it frees up brain space. You don't have to worry about how you're going to prepare a certain ingredient while maybe another is cooking and potentially burning. And for me, that was always a stress thing. And so I think the implementation of mise en place really, really helps smooth out the process. So if the recipe calls for one onion thinly sliced or, you know, some minced garlic, a teaspoon of salt, all that stuff is already laid out ahead of time. You go through the process of chopping all the vegetables, measuring out all the spices. And then when it's time to start cooking, you can just throw the stuff in at the various points of instruction of the recipe and You've got yourself a nice little dish. That's mise en place. Yeah, and honestly, that was something even even in that last Ratatouille episode would have helped me a good bit. I, th- I think I was trying to do too much at once. You know, because it's it's generally like a simple dish. I didn't cut my vegetables ahead of time, and it's still a bit of an experiment for us. So I didn't know if we wanted to have that on the episode or not. And when I was actually going through the process of not only like cooking, but preparing my ingredients and 
dealing with the whole like recording a podcast thing. I think like I just didn't have enough like mental space to really track with what I was doing. I was just getting distracted and like stuff was falling through the cracks. So I think a a better initial setting up of my space and my environment, it would have really helped me at that specific time. Yeah. I think looking back on that in the kitchen episode for the ratatouille, if we had cut the onions, cut the garlic, cut the peppers, the eggplant, if all of that had been done an hour before we started recording, you probably wouldn't have burned your hands. I think it's highly likely that I would not have. But, you know, we were just trying to figure this out. This whole thing, you know, cooking, being dads and recording a podcast as well. And that's fine. I think it was good. Honestly, like, you know, we could have cut it out, but I don't think that would be a hundred percent like authentic. And, and even, even the, in the kitchen episodes, I think like we're still trying to figure that out, figure out what that format looks like. So I think we have some ideas as to how to refine that and make it a little more interesting as we go. But in terms of like actual practical steps, Phil, how do you tend to you know, go about that. What does that look like for you when, when you're getting ready to make a meal? Well, typically I need to read through the recipe line by line. I have been known to start a recipe before I finish reading through it. And I can think of a couple of times within the past month when I was preparing a dish and Ashley came into the kitchen and asked me what I was making. And then she takes a look at the recipe and she'll be like, oh, babe, this was supposed to marinate overnight. And it's like, oh, man, why didn't I read through the recipe? And that's that's just kind of on par for who I am. So it's something I'm trying to get better at. And I, I just feel like, you know, practically speaking, this mise en place method forces us to kind of read through the recipe And then it won't be nearly as stressful. And it's not hard. It's not hard at all. If your recipe calls for, say, onions and garlic, garlic, then oftentimes, not always the case, but oftentimes the recipe is going to ask you to begin sauteing your onions. And then after they've cooked for about five or six minutes, then you can throw your garlic in. Because garlic, as I understand it, uh, seems to cook a little bit faster than, than onions. I mean, for one, it's just a smaller, smaller in mass. But I can't tell you how many times I've started sauteing my onions and then realized that the next step is to put in the garlic and I haven't even peeled the garlic yet. So then I either have to kill the heat and pull the onions off the heat so that they don't overcook and over caramelize or rush through peeling the garlic and then you end up with some sort of husk or kernel inside the the dish. So just doing it ahead of time is very enjoyable. And I I think that specific example was one of the things that always super stressed me out about cooking early on. I always felt like I was in this time crunch where as soon as I put one thing on, the clock was ticking for me to like read through the recipe and figure out what I needed to do next, what ingredient needed to go in. And it always felt like this high pressure thing when you have everything prepped ahead of time. It's the exact opposite. It's way more relaxed and enjoyable. And I think it it gives you time for some important things. And so actually, before I get to that, one of the things that I never really totally understood for a while was my wife's fascination with tiny dishes, like tiny little bowls, ramekins, and she has tons of them. You know, from the knife episode, we're definitely not ones to promote just having a lot of superfluous stuff, things that you don't need, little kitchen gadgets that really aren't going to use. Yeah. If you guys have little tiny dishes or ramekins as they're called, 
you probably use them pretty regularly, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I didn't initially realize all of the utility that they had because I wasn't really familiar with this idea. And, you know, those those tiny little ramekins, you can measure out your individual portions of spices or honestly, like Molly uses it for things that aren't even related to cooking. She'll like put out vitamins in it or something. But I think it's actually like a little bit of that idea of mise en place just kind of like spilling out to normal everyday life. I don't know. I've heard that's like a culinary school thing. But back to the idea of having time for things that are important. If your whole meal making experience is no longer as under the gun time wise as maybe it was before, the actual prep time then to me feels like it becomes a great time and space to start introducing your kids into the kitchen and having them help when you're not in a position where you have to have those carrots chopped in time to keep the other thing from burning. That's something that like you can hand off to your kids. You know, we're going to do a Taco Tuesday episode at some point, right? I mean, we kind of have to. That's a pretty fantastic idea. Yeah. I mean, especially since our In the Kitchen episodes come out every other Tuesday. Shameless plug. And when we do that Taco Tuesday episode, I think we should have our kids measure out the cumin and the chili powder and the salt and the pepper and every other spice that might go into that dish. That's a task that they can do. It's super easy. It's fun. Doesn't really create a whole lot of mess. It gives them ownership in the meal. And the last time I checked, this whole podcast is about connecting with your kids. And what better way to do that than by having them help you in the kitchen? So, yes, I so agree on so many levels. It's also a great way to start to build an appreciation for food, for different varieties of food. Like you can you can have them try new things like taste testing and they can see how their meals are made. It's going to sound a little weird, but allow them to participate in the work that goes into kind of making a household run. And I think that's a, a place that you can allow them to have a part and it doesn't have to feel like a chore, if that makes sense. It 100% makes sense. And it's inspiring to me. I like it. You know, our experience, especially with, with our older one, that when he's around and sees things being made he's a lot more curious about the dish itself he, it's easy for him to be uh, a little more narrow with his tastes but being in the kitchen and hearing us talk about what we're making and what we're excited about in regards to that food it opens him up a lot more to new things that are outside of his his comfort zone yeah that's really cool i, I don't think i knew that about him he's become quite an adventurous eater over the past six or seven years. <laughs> Sushi's his favorite now. Do you know how to roll sushi? Never tried it. We did that once uh, yeah. at home date night. It was really hard. It's kind of like folding a fitted sheet. It really doesn't make sense. But those that do it, do it really well. Kind of gives you a whole new appreciation for sushi. Hey, there's, a, there's a food doc for that, Phil. I'm sure there is. There is? Oh, have you have you not seen uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? No. That one is absolutely fantastic. It's it's a few years old. It's about a guy named, I'm pretty sure the pronunciation is Jiro, and he's this like a master sushi chef. He's this master, he's this master sushi chef. He's this guy that makes sushi really well. <laughs> I'm going to try it again. 
He's this master sushi chef. That's a really, really hard <laughs> phrase, Phil. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <sighs> and anyway, he's dedicated his whole entire life to, to sushi. And I, I know, especially at the time of the doc, he was like widely considered one of the best sushi chefs in all of Japan. And it's just a really interesting look at the humble consistency that he's displayed over his life every day goes back and tries to make it better even at you know 80 or 90 years old he has this really tiny little sushi shop and uh, i don't know if they uh, serve like eight people per service and no not because of covid but it's insanely expensive to eat there but it's a fantastic doc we we have mentioned probably three or four or five different food docs so far and it just gave me this idea if this podcast fails and we decide it's not for us, then we should start a podcast where we just review food documentaries. Sure. Because there's so many out there, and it seems super niche. That's great, because my wife loves to watch them. And I do, too. They've, they've very, very, very much grown on me. It's not like a space that I ever really dove into before, but I really appreciate it all now. So have you seen the latest chef's table episode with Sean Brock or at least the latest yes. to come out on Netflix? Sean Brock is the guy who did Husk. He's he's here in Charleston. I, I actually think he lives in Nashville now, but he's got three Husk restaurants. Yes, we did. We did watch the one with Husk. Yeah. OK. There's a pit master in Charleston on it. And so that's what I thought you were talking about for some reason. But no, we, I believe you're thinking of Rodney Scott. Well. Yes, it is. Yep. Have you eaten at Rodney Scott's? No. Oh my God. Worth Bro. it. Book a flight and come east right now. It's fast casual. It's not like yeah. you don't need a reservation. Dude, that is some seriously good barbecue. When you were here, we took you to Lewis Barbecue. Yes. Which is I do really, really good, but it's Texas barbecue. It's not Charleston barbecue. And seriously, like, I love Texas barbecue, specifically Austin, Texas style barbecue. Really, really good. But Austin, Texas kind of focuses on the brisket. Charleston, you know, Southeast barbecue focuses on the pork and specifically vinegar based pork. Mm -hmm. And it is unreal. You'd love yeah, it. Yeah, I guess I, I I don't know if I'd ever really been exposed to the whole hog that he kind of specializes in. Always more on the brisket side. I think it's just like what I've been around. So yeah, we'd love to go. This has been a really fun episode. We've been all over the map. I think it's great. I think there's a whole lot more to it than just like recipes and techniques. And I, I don't want to go as far to say as it's a way of life, but it's something that is a part of our lives and brings life to us and really connects to so many different areas of our lives, whether it's it's Padma talking about the immigrant experience through food or us being able to help our kids learn how to appreciate not only food, but helping out in the house by being with us in the kitchen. And, and there's also a lot of quality time that can be spent there. So I, I, I think that the, the topic of of food and the different roles that it plays in our lives is wide reaching. I think it's great. And there's probably some ulterior motives there too. Like, hey kids, could you please stop fighting and measure out these spices for me? I could really use the help. And you're like, oh yeah, I've never done that before. Quick tip right there. I think as this episode has demonstrated, there there's so many ways to connect with food in your family that might not always be in the kitchen. And some of that I feel like we hit here. And so if you know, somebody wants to actually go, you know, take a look at one of these shows or docs. Those those will probably be in our show notes, right? Yeah, dadskitchenco.com. Just scroll down to this specific episode, Mise en Place, and 
open it up and there's all kinds of links uh, which i'll have preloaded for you guys to check out and you can also engage with us on instagram and facebook at dad's kitchen co check us out we'd love to hear from you and we'd also love to hear stories on how you're bringing your kids into the kitchen and what those experiences look like for you yeah how did you coax your kids into separating the seasonings (laughs) awesome love it thanks phil thanks chris (laughs) 